Hey, hey we're, we're Dumb Waiter, and this room sounds, sounds great. At the very least, you want to you want to feel that air of human error. Um, but yeah, we've had a lot of memorable gigs, and and when I say memorable, some of them in a good way, and some of them in in very bad ways. But uh, the finding a resource of long-haired men who are willing to shave for a few hundred dollars is uh, yeah. yeah. Well, hello, everybody in the podcast universe. This is This Room Sounds Great. I'm Reese Williams. We are recording live at In Your Ear Studios. And we know that when you are out there baking bread and weeding your garden, man, you could listen to anything in this whole wide world. And you chose to hit play on our little old podcast. We can't thank you enough. This episode is so exciting. This is the craziest fusion hybrid he almost went for it. I saw it. <laughs> I am speaking with Dumbwaiter. I'm going to go around the room, let you guys introduce yourselves, what you do in the band first. Hey, I'm Nick, and I play guitar. I'm Tristan, and I play the saxophone. And you're going to have to get much closer, my dear. And I'm Keith, and I play the bass guitar in the band. I have got to say, you guys scrambled our brains in the best possible way when you were on. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you. And, and it was alien jazz. Is that what we're going with? Is that the official <laughs> genre? I, I, I've never heard that one, but I like it. I'm not against that. Um, now, how long have you guys been together? You sound really cohesive and tight. Has it been a while? Yeah, um, thank you. Um, yeah, we've, we're coming up on 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to say our first show together was August 2012. Yeah, our first show was at a, actually a house venue in Richmond. And um, back then, I feel like house shows were just like popping off all over town at, in that era. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we played at a spot that was called The Yerb at the time, and um, it was a fantastic show. Um, we, en- we ended up meeting some good fellow Richmonders uh, night idea that night. Yeah, we actually... we trying to get them on the show. Oh, oh great. Yeah, you I need to get them on. A few times, so I've been trying. They're wonderful people. They're night, fantastic. Night we, we had the, the fortune to open up for them that night, and... Uh, Little did we know, you know, be the start of a of a long friendship. So, yeah. so how, with the genre that you guys are in, and I, I don't even know how to describe it to people. So we're just going to take a quick minute and we're going to play a little sample, just so people can get a little taste. Sure. chose frisk which now i remember your songs are like i charts <laughs> yep, yep. and i can't remember who gave the explanation the beautiful explanation of why your tracks only have letters uh we were try we well we were instrumental band and we were thinking at the time uh that it would be disingenuous to name t- uh tracks anything i like anything you name it winds up kind of kind of like hoaxy or or doesn't it just doesn't sound genuine so we were trying to think of a way to make it sound angular and weird. And so we just kind of picked, uh, I think you had a, a system for picking. So it was, it was Nick's idea um, to my right here that 
was kind of putting his foot down and he was saying, you know, we make instrumental music. We don't, there aren't lyrics to this music. It doesn't really mean anything specifically. So to have these, you know, overly specific titles feels disingenuous. Um, but then I kind of came in and I, I felt that if we were going to have nonsense gibberish words, it would be interesting if they still had like a phonetic aspect to them. So even if they are completely random, they, they are somewhat pronounceable. So you can, it's not just like a typing in a Wi-Fi password. <laughs> yeah, I feel like everybody uh, knows window. That like, yeah. no one said something that wasn't window. That was, that was, yeah, that was the cue that that's how you're supposed to read it. Yeah. <laughs> so now that we know what you sound like, what is the landscape of the Richmond music scene for the genre? I mean, you know, the the venues that you're playing, the other bands that you collaborate with if you do. I don't know if any of the musicians in your band are like others where it's a do do of, of musicians that sort of have all these side projects. Oh, yeah. Uh, We've had a couple of guests. We had uh, Andrew Ali and... He's great. Let's see. Yeah. Who else? Uh, uh, and Andy Horn from Cannabis Corpse, Loud Night, Battlemaster. He uh, came in and did vocals on our second record. Oh, Teresa uh, and Matt Gold yep, from the Richmond from uh, Symphony. He does uh, stuff with. On they do stuff song. with Prabir all the time. They do. Prabir. Yeah, we love Prabir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Gold Rush folks came in on our first record and did like uh, violin, was it or and bass yeah. and, and mm-hmm. stand up bass. Stand-up um, contributed on a couple of tracks, which was cool. We, we had a number of uh, uh, VCU at the time, at least VCU oh, yeah, choir, choir students who uh, who sat in on our second album to provide yeah, kind of operatic yeah, vocals. Uh, and then the upcoming record, we've got uh, John Hawkins from the band Open, another local Richmond band. They're fantastic. Yeah, also, also of the, uh, uh, the the late band Navi, yeah, um, which I, I feel yeah. it's important to yeah, mention. Yeah, so we collaborate. R.I.P. Navi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and speaking of collaborations, we did um, we've done like improvisational sets with Dave Watkins, mm-hmm. um, and we did one with him at like a ninety seven point three uh, like annual party. That was a completely oh, improvised yeah. set. That um, was some which part is of terrifying because, like, you know, I don't know about. I can't speak for everybody in the band, but I'm not uh, like I don't know too much about music, and uh, so to improvise is just a nightmare for me. <laughs> <laughs> but we made it happen. It was fun. You do, you do, and it's so interesting. You know, we might have record we might have festivals or labels that consider themselves diverse and they've got this incredibly eclectic roster of of musicians but you guys put it all in one band the music style itself is this incredible mashup it's so cool so who who brings what influence to the band i think it's just a byproduct of of all of us coming from very different musical backgrounds and uh and uh, discographies that we own, we listen to uh, so it's it's hard to say that like any one person is injecting. A lot of times it's just that you know maybe Nick will bring a guitar riff to practice and it will then transform into a sax riff that then uh, you know spreads to the bass and, and drums. And by the end of it, Nick's guitar riffs entirely changed. So it, it's kind of just in a constantly evolving process before we uh, realize that it's a never-ending system and we just you know finalize it. It's put, definitely put, put about reacting. <laughs> like we react to one each other's uh, to each other's riffs. You could say. Um, and then you gotta decide when to stop reacting and call it. Yeah, like, like it's done, <laughs> yeah. not overdo it. Well, Tristan, like you said, I mean, there are painters who paint a painting for a really long time. That self-editing is a huge step. It's a huge. It's a skill to learn to be able to say, okay, I've done what I can do. Yeah, yeah. And then learning the whole like less is more sometimes was like a challenge for us. We were like way busy in the beginning, 
pretty dense and I think we've gotten a little bit more open and feel and groove like as we went along but uh yeah we all listen everybody in the band listens to a lot of different stuff we all have our things that we all have a mutual love for but it's all over the map Madonna maybe Uh, this is actually uh I think they're making fun of it's a I got Madonna on my t-shirt here but it's actually a a floor uh shirt that's a a band from I I think they're from Miami but uh (laughs) <laughs> they're great i grew up with her that's that's my girl <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's get her on the podcast yeah 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 really I, what has been oh go ahead i do think self-editing is is a great way to explain the whole band like that we yeah. we continuously it's like a record is kind of just like the closest we can get to stopping self-editing and we just each song has been done and redone 20 times before anybody hears it yeah and then there's always the chance like uh uh there's a song off the new record where as far as i can tell like when we perform it live it's gonna have a completely different ending um the first track yeah we accidentally self-edited it after we recorded after we made the album we like made a whole different ending to the song which was wonderful and then nick was like we need to go back to the studio and like they would it is it's just like no we it's done it's done i think we've had to grow (laughs) we've had to grow to be happy with having slight differences between the recorded material and the live material uh there's a lot of uh you know transitions and changes that we might in, uh, we might apply to the album because everything's streamed together and everything's supposed to flow from one song to the next. But sometimes maybe if you if you're playing a different set, maybe you're not playing the album as it is, and a song doesn't feel like it ends as naturally if it's not flowing into that next song. So it's it's I feel like it's important to like come up with these you know like slight aberrations or slight variations. As a music goer, I like a little variation. I have seen bands who they were some of my favorite bands and when i saw them in concert i I remember one in particular at the fillmore in san francisco and it was just like listening to the cd and i couldn't believe i was so disappointed (laughs) i wanted to hear some odd noodling or just a different variation it was oh it was so disappointing they were very talented it was it just it was awful at at the very (laughs) least you want to you want to feel that air of human error that that's like in the room of like even if it is almost like the album it's like you can tell that it's like they're just walking a tightrope to to get there i had a, a boyfriend a long time ago when we would talk about graphic design and i said something about like i liked graphic design because i could manipulate things and he said it's got to be organic because you knew somebody was there and you mm. could see little mistakes you could see like mm-hmm. and i just really learned to appreciate that tangible Sure. Exist, mm-hmm. Especially now with everything is digital. Yeah. You brought in albums. I spent my childhood just with the albums open between speakers, just looking at the artwork and reading the lyrics and going to the store and getting the records in the little carrier. Now it's like, oh, so-and-so has a new album. You're on your phone. Yep, yeah. Yeah. It's, no. just, it's not tactile anymore. It's Right, right. I'm I mean, a big physical media uh, fan, and uh, I spin vinyl all the time. I grew up with CDs, though. Uh, well, I mean, it started out on cassette tapes, and then it kind of, into the 90s, went into the CD era. But um, I definitely, yeah, spent all my money in high school. Like, whatever uh, job I had in high school, all that money went to just going, buying CDs. Um, it was a wonderful time, though. I, I, I miss <laughs> the feeling of popping a CD into the car and just letting it play. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something cool about it. What was the first piece of music you owned that was yours? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, let's see. It was sounded, probably it, it's Irish probably thing. embarrassing, but I I think like I picked up three things at once, and it was like a, a Green Day Dookie cassette, 
Um, maybe Alanis Morissette's like jagged little pill. Ninety five, baby. Uh, yeah, and then um, believe it or not, it's like like I said, I'm gonna be embarrassed by some of these, but uh, I bought Orgy. That was the name of the band, and the record was Candy Ass. <laughs> and I think I bought it because they did a cover of like New Order's Blue Monday, and that's what like hooked me in. I saw that music video on MTV, but uh, MTV actually. Ugh, um, a lot of what I was consuming in the 90s was pretty bad because I was a TRL kid for a while. <laughs> hey, you were at least getting into music, learning what you liked, what you didn't like. Yeah. Tristan, what was your first piece of music? I think the, well, the first piece of music I remember was actually a tape that, uh, I mean, I was too young to buy, but I remember the first like piece of uh, physical media I remember consuming was a tape of Tuxedo Junction, which is an old like jazz standard. Ooh. Um, and I just remember like listening to that a lot when I was when I go to bed. Step back, but Tristan. The, the first that, I mean, that was like you know that was like three or four. But the first piece of uh, the first CD that I bought, uh, I remember was Americana by The Offspring. Oh, good one. So that right. one was I I, 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 I still yeah. like that band. You know, good they're, they're a time and a place, but I, I still I still enjoy it sometimes. And Nick, um, I remember the first tape was Chumbawamba. <laughs> the, tub thumping tub thumping and then uh the, the first two cds was nirvana bleach and um led zeppelin three. Oh, those hold up yep i think i mean no never mind i was going to defend jumbawamba i'm not you can oh. you can defend jumbawamba <laughs> no you can de- definitely defend bleach and uh zeppelin <laughs> I mean, to, I, to, I to jumbawamba's time. merit i've never heard a song like that ever again yeah yeah fair enough yeah <laughs> I like a... your glass half full perspective, Tristan. <laughs> I like it a lot. So you've been uh, doing this for a decade. Who writes the music? All four of us. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, it could start from any single riff from any individual. If you took any individual song, maybe you could you, know, you could paint a picture of where it came from. But I feel mm-hmm. like on the whole, it's it's really just a, such a collaborative, like we said earlier, self editing process that it's it's almost impossible to find. Yeah, you even know, if you song even credits. if you show up and you have an idea of like what you think the song's gonna go like, it's not gonna go like that once it gets into the hands of everybody. Mm-hmm. I um, love it. So not only is the listener a we on a journey, but you've been on one when you oh, created yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. That's incredible. For sure. Tristan, is there anybody else who uses effects on their horn like you? Oh, are? certainly, certainly. Really? Okay. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. It's not mainstream. Not I will close tell you to that. the first. Um, <laughs> I would. I think it's agreed upon. And in, in, uh, don't quote me on this, but the Brecker brothers were. Uh, uh, saxophone and trumpet uh, brother duo from the 70s and they were they weren't using guitar effects per se but they were one of some of the earliest instruments to use uh, you know, wind instruments to use effects I think they were way off the deep end they're they're having people like build you know pickups inside of their instruments and analog delay and whatnot so they were definitely on the forefront um, some early influences I had uh, was like the Mars Volta um, maybe, maybe even less like uh, less effects but just bands like morphine bands like king crimson uh, pink floyd even who just showed showcased the saxophone outside of jazz and outside of classical in these other settings and these other genres kind of just opened my eyes up to the fact that it it could be used in any any sort of sounding music so those are all great examples we've um, watched you like struggle like watching tristan navigate the world of pedals because you're taking uh you know most of these pedals are built for guitars um and so you're feeding like mic level into line level pedals, and um, there's certainly a way to do it. Yeah, I, there's I have definitely a, I have ways a, around it. It's I have just, a much uh, better grasp on it now, but it is yeah. it has been a, a a struggle since there's not really a tried and true way to do it. 
There's yeah, not yeah. there's not like a uh, Google form where you're like how to how do I hook a saxophone up to effects pedals. Yeah. It's kind of each each uh, professional saxophone I've encountered or had conversations with. I think every single one of us like have a completely different way of doing it. Have you mm-hmm. looked on Reddit? There's no, oh, everything's on Reddit. There, no, there's pl- there's pl- yeah, but <laughs> no right everybody way to go. there's, there's just, no right way to go. Yep. There's just, just kind of different, different ways to get to the end and, and yeah. goal. And you know, you got pedal manufacturers that like, oh, we make bass specific pedals, uh, but no one's out there making like saxophone specific pedals. They're like tailored it, to like those set of frequencies. To, and, to their merit, there there are a, a line of vocal effects processors. But I find them to be a little bit too, uh, too one size fits all, or too like not not quite a not quite flexible enough. For I I, I like the I like the uh, the human error and the grittiness that goes into guitar effects and bass effects uh, that just kind of allows you to shape your unique sound um, that's not as easily repl- replicable or uh, um, you know, kind of get a unique unique timbre. Yeah, and it's a groovy sound. I mean. I, I love hard music, um, and then there's just a point where it's chaos to me, but I think I told you that night when you guys were here, there's this neat little seat for me inside your music. I don't know what it was. Um, it just, the cacophony was around me, and I was just in this lovely little place where it just swirled around, and I found rhythm, and you know I'd get yanked into the drum and yanked <laughs> into this. It was just incredible. I so enjoyed myself i think i had the dippy grin the whole time you guys were playing and again it was for us it was just an an entirely new genre you know we've had so many but it was so fun to hear this room rock like that you know we've we've had rock (laughs) but you guys slayed it that night it was incredible it was so much fun what is going to define success for you guys are you guys full-time musicians, or do you have to have day jobs? Okay. Yeah, we definitely okay. still have day jobs, uh, but we're always um, we're always hustling. We're mm-hmm. always emailing um, labels and booking agents and annoying all the industry <laughs> folks. But um, and we've been able to like get some music into libraries for hopeful or um, like candidates for licensing. Um, so we're trying to get our foot in the door. Um, I think that I mean. We've got several albums now, and it's instrumental music. I think there's a lot of like really excellent pieces of uh, music in there to be. They could work really well for like commercial and film and um, all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's also a kind of a direction we've been heading. Is we want to continue making the the strange alien music that we make, but uh, we've been drifting towards a little bit more minimalism and a little bit more of a almost soundtrack approach to to some of the songs. Uh, which I'm looking forward to exploring more in the future. Yeah, sound architecture almost. Yeah, for you yeah. guys with your sound. I mean, some of the some of the soundscapes that that Nick on guitar comes up with are just such, you know, just him him playing a single chord. I feel like could could fit into a Hans Zimmer score. <laughs> <laughs> How do you guys like the business social media side of things? Are you does it come naturally? Do you hate it? Who gets stuck with it? <laughs> I used to be a, a booking agent slash I ran Gallery 5 for a while. And um, that world kind of taught me how to do all that kind of stuff. And we all do it a little bit here and there. But um, it's it's uh, it's my least favorite thing, I think. I, I, wanna, I, I mean, out of everything, even performing live, I, I like being in the studio. I like... Uh, coming up with something and be like, oh, that's that's the one that's getting me really excited. And um, to do everything else is like, 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'll do it. We'll do it, you know. But. We have fun at least. Like with the social media thing, um, we at least take advantage of having a good time and not being too serious. So if you follow us on Instagram, you'll probably get a good chuckle here and there. It's real silly. The music yeah. is good. I feel like I'm very serious We're on very the mu- serious. music, yeah. but like us as people and our social presence is just silly. Yeah, like professionals in the industry might just be like what is the deal with these we do a lot of self-deprecating yeah a lot of that (laughs) um but when we're performing and when we're out being musicians we take it very serious we just have a big sense of humor and a lot of inside jokes that go on and on um those are the best so that's a a perfect time to ask what (laughs) is the silliest way you've ever injured yourself Introduce ourselves. In, in, injured. injured. Oh, injured. Oh, what is the silliest oh. way? Whether some, Who's whether first? somebody saw it or didn't see it. <laughs> I was, uh, I was in first grade. I was six years old, and I was playing with. So my, I was at the veterinarian with my mom, and our dog had already gone into the back. And I was playing with someone else's dog, and I was just like, you know, a six-year-old playing rambunctiously with a dog in a waiting room, and I somehow like tripped and slammed my face into a metal scale. At like high velocity, I just whipped my head forward, and I, I needed like fifteen stitches in uh, my eyebrow. And you got them from uh, a vet. They put a they put some butter. Or I think they might have actually stitched butter? like butter. I was gonna say uh, butterfly bandages. <laughs> I, I definitely I might have gotten a few stitches at the vet, but essentially they were just trying to like patch me up enough they to get me to the me hospital. Up. They butter me up. <laughs> um, but that was probably put this some butter on it. You'll be fine. That's just, what we do with the dogs in the back. You're I, good. I, f- I feel for my mom to this day that just like the nightmare of turning around and her her. Her son is just bleeding out in the waiting room of a of a veter- veterinarian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, How about you? Would you share the drill bit one? That's no. Yeah, uh, what did you do? Uh, I, just, I this was somewhat recent. I was pre-drilling a hole and I accidentally put a hole through my thumb. <laughs> but uh, and then I didn't really. I I was so my friends had Bill Burr tickets for me. And it was right before that, and I was like, well, this isn't stopping me. And I didn't know it had gone through the thumb, and I just wrapped my thumb up and went. And then two weeks later, fast forward, it's infected. (laughs) 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 And uh, I had to open it up and clean it out and everything. (laughs) There's been other. Yeah, that's that's, that's my one. Did you complete the project you were working on? Um, Yes. Yes. (laughs) And you, sir, what's silly? What uh, things have you gotten into? I grew up skating, so I can't even count how many really bad, silly falls and stuff I've had. But uh, I can recount a story that's not an injury, that's really embarrassing. Uh, yeah, I'll share this with the world. This is a good one, and uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty embarrassing. But all right, when I was a, uh, a boy, I have a little sister, by the way. Um, me and my sister were in the back seat of this car, and it was a convertible, and we had lollipops. And... Uh, Anyway, I was just, whatever, not paying attention, and a flock of birds flew overhead, and (laughs) while I wasn't paying attention, one had taken uh, duty, and it landed on my lollipop, and uh, (laughs) my awesome luck, I didn't uh, see that it had happened, and I stuck the lollipop in my mouth, and it was the saltiest, nastiest thing I've ever tasted in my life, and... uh, and then the worst part was like I'm sitting there completely embarrassed and like just hating life and uh, I'm looking at this looking at my lollipop and seeing what's dripping down and I and I like looked up and saw the birds and I put it together and uh and then really I was just like I can't say anything to anyone cuz my little sister's right here and if I 
say anything in this car about this, she's going to tell every kid in the neighborhood, and everyone's going to be like, you're the kid that ate the bird shit. So you just, so you just, kept, you just kept eating it. Oh. <laughs> Precisely. Damn sisters, man. That's kind of like getting uh, injured. Oh, that's mental stuff. No, that's way more injurious than any of ours. <laughs> good humbling stuff right there. What has been a good, memorable show for you guys? Have you played outside the U.S.? Like, where have you played? No, uh, we've gotten show offers outside the U.S. Uh, U.S. Um, in the U.K. and uh, actually a few other spots, but we haven't made our way outside the U.S. yet. We've been invited to Arc Tangent in the U.K. a number of times, but it's always been kind of a you know. We, a taxing ordeal to try to figure out that entire yeah um, the whole like process of getting gear across the oceans a little uh, seems like a an expensive money. ordeal yeah. uh, can you rent things when you're out yeah there? You, can. you can definitely rent yeah. like back line and stuff yeah. um which i i know we would if we were to ever to, to do that yeah. but, uh, we'd have to book a like a month or two long tour i think to, make, to incentivize it um, but yeah, we've had a lot of memorable gigs, and, and when I say memorable, some of them in a good way, and some of them in in very bad ways. Yeah, we but, love uh, those. We love those. Yeah, no, uh, I'd say some memorable ones. I think <laughs> one of my favorite gigs was playing Cat's Cradle in oh, Chapel yeah. Hill, North Carolina, with Cheramellos. That was a great one. Um, and a uh, uh, Mouse on the Keys. Yeah, and then maybe some memorable and really weird, awkward ways were like playing in Houston, Texas. Uh, at a DIY space that I'll just leave uh, unnamed. <laughs> I'll name it. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was an happened? ordeal. <laughs> the, the sound guy came up and was the first person we saw, and he had no shoes on, and uh, I th- there, there was just, just it was off. But uh, looked at us, and the first thing that was said was, "You guys have nice shoes." <laughs> you may not be leaving with them, boy. And, and then it got weirder from there. That was like the most normal part. Of I, the I think, yeah, yeah. I, was... I think the important fact of that that Houston show was it was uh, advertised as a South by South. We were on our way to South by Southwest in Austin. We were playing a showcase there. Ooh, nice. And it, this show in Houston was advertised as a South by Southwest over like sh- spillover overflow or spillover, yeah, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. So I. I you know, us and a number, I'm, I'm saying like, you know, there's a band from Japan, Philadelphia, Brazil, Brazil Los mm-hmm. Angeles, uh, all over the place. A lot of bands were convinced to play this this showcase thinking that it was part of the festival or somewhat affiliated, and it, it was not. No, it was not. Uh, yeah, we had a very strange uh, guy try to convince us to let him get in the van with us and be our sound guy. He was like, let me come with you. And that same guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was going to take your shoes, I'm telling shoes. you. He wanted the I shoes. forgot his name. Uh, uh, some angry, weird noise, local noise musician showed up Lorax. at the end of the night and like put uh, the bonfire out that everyone was enjoying. Right. <laughs> and, uh, it was uh, a weird night. Buzzkill. But te- I will say, I love Texas in general. Uh, oh, we yeah. usually have a really good time. Like Dallas and Austin are fantastic. Bo- both Dallas and Austin are, are two of my favorite cities to play. Yeah. What do you guys do when you're not playing music to sort of fill your well or, you know, put yourself in the flow? Or what, what kind of hobbies do you guys have? Are, are you gamers? Does somebody knit? Does somebody cook? I, I like I like cooking. I, I also I play a lot of video games. I like hiking a lot. Mm. Um, I think through COVID, it was it was something that I came back to. Is I, the first at least the first six to eight months of COVID, I think I was hiking every single day, just to kind of keep my I, most of my bands were on hiatus. You know, my my work was furloughed, so that was, seemed like the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. 
And you didn't have to wear a mask if you didn't That's see right. anybody else yeah. on the trail. <laughs> it's so nice yeah. to at least pull it, pull it down when you're by yourself. How about you? What do you do besides drilling things through your fingers <laughs> and your digits? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I have been screen printing, and um, I do a lot of film stuff. I like to edit film, and yeah. That's good. Yeah, we've all, uh, on downtime in the past years, uh, we've all done, like, extra work for, like, random television shows in Richmond, like when they were filming Homeland and Turn on AMC. Uh, Walking Dead. Yeah, so you can see us in random television shows in the background. Oh, gotta love the extra life, right? You sit yeah. around for six hours. Yeah, well, you know, actually, when I got pulled into the extra uh, gig, it was because the... The casting director, she's very smart and basically was like, musicians are a great, like, that's a great resource for extras. And so, like, she would show up to, like, <laughs> gigs and, like, just start asking musicians because she knows, like, they're all, they always have time to kill and then, um, you know, can just pop in here and there. I think in a lot of cases, many of the productions in Virginia are war or historical documentaries or, or you know, non-fictional pieces. So the... Finding a resource of long-haired men who are willing to shave for and a beards. few hundred dollars is uh, lots of yeah. beards in Richmond. Yeah. yeah, like when they did the Abe Lincoln movie. Uh, yeah, I've always felt it, it's a really fun thing to do if you don't do it all the time. What a great perspective on things. We did some uh, ADR and voice work for Homeland. We did a bunch oh, okay. of for them. Yeah, here yeah. at the studio. Had a good time on that show. That yeah. was great. What about some good uh, first instrument stories? What did you guys learn, hone your craft on, even if it wasn't what you play now? Um, I guess, yeah, my first instrument was piano. Uh, and I, I kind of put it down. I didn't really, you know, play it consistently throughout my life. But I, I played piano when I was like five and six. And then I think I picked up saxophone when I was 10 mm-hmm. and just kind of stayed on there for, for the foreseeable future. Drove your parents crazy, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, may- maybe. That's a tough one. I mean, piano is like, eh, they're kind of hunting and pecking. Guitar is like the same riff over and over. But when you get to drums and any kind of a Ooh. horn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Parents are like, really? This is your instrument of choice. Is that right? <laughs> they they kind of pushed me towards it. There's I, actually, I have, a, I have a small story of um, when I was in, uh, my, my parents were in like Nova and there was a band from the Sherlington, kind of Sherlington area called this, this woman, Deanna Bogart, who was a pianist and a saxophonist uh, and kind of blues, jazz, rock. And uh, I, I guess they took me out to that, to her shows a few times when I was like three and I, would, I was dancing, I was dancing to the saxophone and I would call her Banana Go-Kart. Um, and she got a kick out of that too, and uh, so I, th- I think just kind of when when it was time for me to possibly pick an instrument or you know s- start playing music, I was I was I was definitely like leaned in that direction, and uh, any, I you know I love the instrument, banana go kart. I would love like I got two boys, and I'll be very stoked if one of them asks for a drum set, mainly because then I will jump on it and play it probably more than they do a little tiny one <laughs> yeah hey tiny kits are sweet nice and yeah hunch over so your parent you drove your parents crazy clanging on things uh not really uh my my mother tried to push guitar on me for like a long time and i kept like shooing her away because it was all about skating and um what do you call it? I finally caved in in high school and i like and the only reason i did it actually was because uh, i needed to fill electives classes and I was like, well, here's a guitar 101 or whatever, guitar uh, introduction to guitar class. 
And um, I took that and it's crazy because I still remember every single thing I learned in that like in that class. But then after that, I never learned a single thing ever again. Nothing stuck. Um, you might have learned, yeah. but it didn't, st- it didn't yeah. stick. Yeah, and I didn't play. I, I um, think you're learning in uh, like a more intuitive way. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. You're yeah. learning. You're you're way. You're you're very good at what you do. Oh. you know what I mean? And like that's just a different kind of learning. Sure. It's thank just, you. Thank you. I I didn't play instruments in bands until I came to Richmond. Believe it or not, like um, I didn't have the confidence and didn't think it was. Like, I could ever do that, be in a band. So how did you come out of that shell? Well, I went to uh, school in Florida for, like, live production and audiovisual. I was like, well, if I can't be a musician, I want to be involved. I'll, I'll run front of house sound or I'll, like, just back a house, anything to be involved. And um, I ended up getting, uh, after school and working AV for some time, I uh, got an internship at Sound & Music here in Richmond. Mm-hmm. Yep. John Moran, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yep, John, Miguel, and, um, like, Brian Walthall was there at the time. Uh, And that's basically, like, uh, I started interning there and watching, just watching musicians do their thing and just being in Richmond and having a bunch of punks that uh, also don't know too many things about music that are willing to, like, just, like, whatever, uh, let's make noise. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I eventually worked up the nerve to just give it a shot. and what like, was that like? That was was it just one other person? You were like, I'll just do this, or? Well, I played bass first for this like pop rock band um, called Dirty Banners, and um, learned a lot with them. And I think I got like chops or whatever from playing with them. Um, and then I did like a little two piece instrumental thing on guitar. And after that, Dumbwaiter needed a bassist, so I had to sell all my guitar gear to buy the bass stuff, and that was that. What about you, your first instrument? How did you get started? Uh, it was a, a in an acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Classic. brand or anything, but it was the action was really, really high. So I remember just trying really hard to make a power chord. And uh, I, f- when I picked up an electric guitar, I was like, oh, my God, th- this is how guitars actually are. They, you can play them. But I was, I, I was really glad of having gone through that progression of starting with something that was barely – unplay or you know you could barely play it and uh it just made things a lot easier but, but that was it i i don't i don't think i i played piano a little bit um i always wanted to play drums but i still have never done that we all jump on nathaniel's yeah. drum set <laughs> I, don't, I don't count it I, I want like i want one at my house yeah <laughs> gotta start with the paradiddle buddy yeah. <laughs> paradiddle all day <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how to do those. <laughs> is there anybody in town that you want to, anybody else that you want to collaborate with? Is there a venue you can't wait to get into? What are some sort of reachable goals for this year? We're, we're aiming to play Fuzzy Cactus this spring. And uh, we're, we're, I, we've played with them before, but I'm always excited to play with Toxic Moxie. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's a, a fun band. Oh, we're always open to collaborating with like all kinds of people. Um, I know, uh, yeah, we've talked about doing collaborations with, like, Win Hand in the past, or, like, with Dorothea, uh, but maybe it'll happen one day. Uh, I'm open, like, we're pretty open dudes if you reach out to us, uh, but as far as, like, getting into a venue, I think the only one in town that we haven't played is maybe the National. Um, national we, Fuzzy Cactus, uh, a few, fuzzy of, the, cactus, few, few yeah. of the breweries around, around town we mm-hmm. haven't played, but... Yeah. So many good spots. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to, uh, yeah, 
maybe get an opening slot at the national sometime. I know we didn't answer the question earlier about the you were asking about the like the landscape of Richmond, like the shows and It's kind of hard to put my finger on it after I think it was it was hard before COVID, but it's certainly even more difficult after COVID so or or during lost COVID. Momentum. You yeah. Know, every there were so many bands I talked to that said they had a full year scheduled and then, you know, I guess you could keep in touch with the booking agents the first few months of the pandemic and kind of keep on and then when it just stalled, when it legitimately stalled, I think a lot of people lost interest. Now, of course, that weeded out the people who weren't serious, which mm-hmm. was great. But it's really hard to stay motivated and keep those connections and keep that enthusiasm and try to be top of mind with everybody in town. It's really difficult. Absolutely. And uh, the other thing that's been difficult with um, booking agents is that uh, now that we're starting to, like, shows are starting to come back and tours are being booked again, um, when we do talk to them, uh, Sometimes even when they're interested in working with us, it's just like they can't. They're just slammed because uh, mm. they can't take on any more bands or work. Uh, and that seems to be like the case just all across the board with booking agents at the moment. So, uh, yeah, maybe we need more booking agents out there, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Supply chain. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, it's, it's, it's super weird trying to figure out the landscape of the, the whole show scene um, post pandemic um it's up in the air i'm certainly eager to even outside of the you know outside of the band i'm eager to get out there and catch more shows this spring and this summer and and hopefully encounter some younger musicians doing some weird stuff i feel like uh my own vantage point of richmond's music scene has has stagnated a little bit and i i know i know my friends bands and i know the bands that i'm familiar with but i i feel like my my radar is a little bit a little bit blind to possibly newer newer acts that are just approaching. And there's a lot. You know, we've had 82 shows here, and we haven't even scratched the surface of what's out there. Troll the venue websites and just, that's what I do, and just see who's coming, and you right-click, open another tab, check them out, and you're just like, oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Either either we, oh, dear, we've got to get them on the show, or oh, my, someone gave them stage time. (laughs) No, I think if anybody's brave enough to get up there and express themselves and create and share it, it, speed, man. It's tricky because it's unfortunate. This You you have to suck for a while. You just got to go up there and, like, kind of suck for a few times before you get better. And I guess the unfortunate thing is – the people that have to that like watch you suck. <laughs> um, it can but. be it can be rough. I feel like the the misconception too is that, um, and it's kind of t- to your anecdote earlier about finding the musician that you'd be comfortable getting up there and singing with. I think the misconception is trying to be struggling with that fear of uh, the reception of your music, and instead just trying to emulate what you've seen is successful. Instead of just kind of taking that blind swing in the dark and just doing you, just doing your own version of it and being content with the fact that it's going to take some time to mold that and to get that into a into a spot where you're you're happy with it it's nice if you can connect with an audience that wants to go on that journey with you i mean i've talked about this before madonna's a prime example you know where she started out and she was shocking and you know for her time it was like oh my god the wedding dress and the virgin thing and writhing on stage blah 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 and then throughout her career she just kept evolving absolutely and some of those were misses some of her Mm -hmm. personas were swings and misses but she was just any human being who was like i think i feel like being country i think i feel like being british i think i feel like being you know urban i think you know she's just trying on different things and um when you've got a great following who just wants to see that with you and watch you evolve that's yeah. a beautiful thing it is that's really neat when fans give you that uh, yeah the space to try different things and not just keep doing the same thing over and over 
Um, I'm sure we've alienated fans along the way. <laughs> um, I, as far as like, I mean, we talk about it often. Like, I think we almost feel like there's a divide between there's like there's a fan base of Dumbwaiter that that just likes the first album is this chocolate and they want that cartoony, fun, silly kind of vibe Pumped and then jazz. yeah, and then there's people that can't stand that stuff and they really just want to hear like what our, our newest output um but it's it's cool if there's the fan that you know gives you the space to kind of explore and uh not just shun you out the minute you do something that they weren't like you know expecting well, i had somebody recently on the podcast say you can't write and edit at the same time as a writer you've got to write 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 and then you and then reflect and, yeah and then you go back and reflect yeah. on it and so yeah. just create 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 See what your hits, see what your misses. <laughs> Where can everybody go for more information? Even though you don't love doing social media. <laughs> oh, uh, but what what social channels and what website do you have where it's got your dates and what you're doing? Uh, Dumbwaiter Band on Instagram. Um, it's a good way to keep up with us. But we're we're everywhere on Spotify. Um, DumbwaiterVA.bandcamp.com. If you want to get merch, we have vinyl, tapes, CDs, T-shirts that are guitarist almost entirely uh, screen prints himself. Um, a lot of the artwork is made by our own members, uh, whether it's Nathaniel, our drummer, or Nick. Um, we're all very hands-on. Uh, everything's very DIY in this band. Um, Your videos are amazing. That's thank something we you. haven't yeah. talked about. Yeah, let's talk about that. Sure, sure. Talk uh, about the genius behind that. Uh, yeah, that's a lot they of that is, so is our guitarist, Nick. and then, But a lot of it's also um, a great deal of help from a film collective in town called Good Day RVA. It's uh, funny that I feel like most of them are no good except for maybe the last one and then the stuff that's coming out in the next like six months are is phenomenal. And wow, I feel so like it's even better. Well, I feel like I, I so. learned yeah. like the mechanics of cameras and stuff like that and like up the production, up the money going into it, up everything about it. And it's much less, I think a lot of, of it before was scatterbrained which i was purposely pushing harder and i thought it does match especially the older style dumbwaiter that was all over the even more all over the place um but i think i've slowed down a little bit and also kind of like honed in on maybe a couple things that are interesting rather than trying to flood the gates with a million things um, rather than trying to be all things to all people <laughs> yeah i mean that's like i feel like dumbwaiters like that a lot where um there's so many different things happening that that's kind of what i'm proud of especially the older stuff where you can so many people can hear it and all get a different experience from it and pick out which which timeline they're going to go down even if it's not the same as anybody else's mm -hmm. um yeah and that was kind of the old videos but i'm just way more excited about the presentation and the ideas of coming up on the next ones uh that's great that it gets even better because i, th I think they've been very creative and amazing so that's great thank, thank you. you and i i can concur with uh nick i think the upcoming ones are You've just gotten better and better at what you do. Um, I so. found more and more people, too, that are, like, I've been working with a guy in Orlando, and um, he just is a wealth of knowledge and has so much equipment and everything. It's, it's he's just a professional, and it's, and it's really nice to have, like, that kind of company on your side. I love it. When are these trickling out? Uh, well, don't really know the the record is the newest record is coming out in 
June on the 24th, and we have PR happening, but none of it's been placed yet. Uh, mo most of that stuff hasn't even been finished yet, but um, they'll start placing probably in April, as I, I would assume would some of that stuff would start coming out. The big campaign push. Yeah. I can't wait to see what you get into this year. Same. We're we're pretty excited. I think we, we get better at this every album we put out. We we kind of learn from mistakes and then just try to do a better job at the next album cycle. Um, so I think we're going to do the best job we've done yet with this next album. And I'm really proud of uh, the packaging with the vinyl and um, the, the new album art. It looks like a painting in your hand when you hold it. And then in two or three years, you'll talk to us again, and we'll say that last thing was garbage. But yeah. this next, this stuff. next one is the one you got to pay attention to. <laughs> and then really, you find out it's garbage all the whole way. All it's always been. It's always been. <laughs> well, hopefully, you'll have a lovely onslaught of garbage lovers yeah. in your wake. <laughs> yeah, this 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 album that is coming out. You know, I think most of it, if not all of it, was written during you know after after COVID. Uh, so I, I feel like we had plenty to reflect on and. Uh, just the culmination of a lot of ideas kind of coming together and, and plenty and plenty of free time to 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 write and to gear up towards recording <laughs> plenty and plenty of free time <laughs> <laughs> too much time too much time thank you guys so much for coming and i really appreciate it thanks for having thank us. Thank you. Thank you for i wanted us. to chat with you when you guys were here and of course it just wasn't the platform to do as much talking so i'm very grateful thank you thank you Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to us for the podcast on all the usual suspects. And of course, be sure to tune in every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. YouTube, Facebook, Twitch for Shaco Sessions Live. That's a wrap.